postseason is what counts. Postseason is where legends are created. Postseason is all about you know, writing your name in history. It means everything. They're living and dying with every play. Every game in the playoffs is win or go home. We're talking about a game that we love, a game that we played in the backyard. These are the dreams that have gone on through kids' minds growing up playing football. It's really the, the time of the year where it gets real. Postseason is why you play the game. Postseason is a blessing. It's a gift. It's a reward for all the work, toil, labor that you put in in the summer. Postseason is everything. Hello and welcome once again to the Irish NFL podcast. Uh, today is our 20th episode of the season and our first for the brand new year of 2018. I'm Mark Cockrell, a fan of the postseason bound New England Patriots, and I'm joined once again by our Giants fan, Brian O'Leary, who's just glad that there's no relegation. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon, Brian. And Gordon Bridgefield, who's a fan of the also postseason bound Pittsburgh Steelers. Mark, how are you getting on? I'm not too bad, Gordo. First seed instead of second seed tends to put me in a good mood. Anyway, welcome everybody back to the podcast. You heard kicking us off today a fantastic playoff intro put out there by the NFL Network, which kind of really uh, builds up the momentum and the passion stirring at this time of the year. I think the only thing that gets me going more than that at the moment is remembering um, Jim Mora's famous rant. You kind of hear him going, playoffs, playoffs. This is playoff season. This is when it really counts. This is truly when legends are made. We are down to 12 teams, 20 teams go home and really aren't going to be entertaining us that much more and not going to really, really be the subject of the podcast. But before we get on to the games that are still to come, the 20 teams do have a great interest because we had, I think, one of Gordo's favourite days of the year, um, being a little bit sadistic perhaps, uh, Black Monday. And a number of those 20 teams moving from coaches uh, but even before we get to the guys that have actually moved, I think it's interesting, guys, we should start to talk about who hasn't moved, who probably should have. So a um, few pod episodes about to go. Brian and myself were here. I think, Gordo, you were, you were unfortunately tied up with work at the time. And we were talking about, oh, yeah, these guys definitely go. Vance, Johns, Joseph, Elway's going to give them the bullet. Hugh Jackson, phew, what a joke. But let's, let's start with these guys. I mean, Cleveland Browns, Hugh Jackson. We have to start there. He didn't get the axe. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a strange enough one that he hasn't gone, but I think the fact that they brought in John Dorsey from um, the former Chiefs GM who's come in now, uh, I, I think it would have been a lot to get rid of Hugh Jackson straight away. I'm, I don't think there was a, a suitable coach out there for them to replace him with straight away. I think that's the big thing. If there isn't a coach there that they like, why replace him and give him one more year? I, I could get you someone in Little League that would be more uh, more suitable to replace him. But I think what John Dor- Dorsey's thinking is they've got so much, so many picks that if he's in charge of that this year, he is going to have a lot more control over the player personnel. And again, he is probably going to take that control from Hugh Jackson. So I suppose it's then giving Hugh Jackson a card of players that he believes in. I was going to say, there was one story I saw that I thought was really interesting, though. Apparently, John uh, Dorsey wasn't given the choice that Jimmy Haslam brought him in and said, there is no option. You do not exercise a say over Jackson State. Jackson is staying. And he also said the famous, um, I don't think Hugh Jackson has lost his magic. Well, three years as a coach and his record is 9-39 and 39 if you include the year in Oakland. 8-8 eight eight in Oakland, I yeah. I don't see the magic. For I don't think Dorsey would have been too concerned about who was, general, or sorry, who was head coach because his job really will be now to take these high, high draft picks that they have in April and turn it into a, a winnable team. I mean, they did have some, quite a lot of picks in the, in the most recent draft. And look, we all felt in the offseason that they had done well. They brought in some good players. It just, just didn't happen. If you look at the record, there were some games that they were. I mean, there was a lot of games in which they were very competitive in. And just unfortunately, they didn't see them out. Or even like, even last Sunday, for example, the game against the Steelers. But well, is yeah. that some of it down to coaching? I mean, Miles Garrett, first overall pick. Limited impacts, he had a bit of injuries. But he got seven sacks. He looked the business. And he's not really playing in a circumstance where the opposition had to pass. You know, is it coaching? I mean, surely someone's got to go there. One and 31 over two seasons. I, I, I think what Dorsey's going to do is he's going to bring in a, a better crop of players. But I don't think their last draft picks 
were that poor overall. No, I thought they were quite good. The, yeah. the tight end, David Ndoku, has yeah, turned out to yeah. be quite a good player. Yeah. Um, so now it looks like they've solidified a couple of positions. Again, the big one is QB. They don't have a quarterback that they're confident with. Um, and we've kind of seen that this year. I just think Dorsey, uh, looking from the outside, I think Dorsey's looking and going, well, now I have full control over who we bring in. And I think he's kind of thinking anybody could coach the players that I'm going to get in. That I think that's the kind of attitude he's going to have. And I think he'll give Hugh Jackson one year. If Hugh Jackson doesn't turn it around in year in the final year, I think he'll be gone next season. Oh, I think he has. To. I'm, I'm still surprised he's there, but I, I fully agree. If he doesn't do anything dramatic next season... The quarterback situation is going to be interesting because I felt the Kaiser was actually progressing as the season went on. And now they're going to go back to the draft again. And Sam Darnold and... Uh, Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen and the like. confirmed that they are going to yeah. enter the draft. So in all likelihood, the Browns are going to take one of those two. Well, I mean, you've, you've heard the suggestion that the Browns probably have the best draft <laughs> capital since probably the 2000 Jets. The 2000 Jets had four number uh, first-round picks. Yeah. They've got one and four in the first round. There's some people suggesting take Rosen or Darnold, whichever you prefer at one, then trade up to two using your fourth pick and others to take Saquon Williams, the running back who's you know very uh, high on many people's uh, radar. Uh, Saquon Barkley, yeah. Saquon Barkley, yeah. Sorry. See, I actually think that's probably the better route. They take Barkley, number one, and realistically the Giants will take Darnell or Rosen. So you take the second one. Yeah, and the Colts aren't going to take a quarterback because the Warriors Andrew Luck is going to come back. So therefore, at four, one of those two QBs should still be there. Provided someone doesn't trade up to three. It's a risk. Yeah. Oh no. The, look, the Denver, there's Denver are very interesting because they're four or five, and they could trade up for a quarterback. They're they're f- uh, five or uh, five, I think, yeah. they are in the draft order. But look, it's going to be f- highly interesting. I think you know before we move on from the Browns, we must say um, only the second ever Owen sixteen season in NFL history. Um, the Detroit Lions of two thousand eight opened their flat cans of seven up in celebration. I'm sure at that moment in time. Um, Again, like the 2008 Detroit Lions, Cleveland actually went 4-0 in the preseason, which is remarkable. But I have to say, they made losing during the 2017 season into an art form. I mean, 14-point fourth quarter leads, no problem. We can blow that. Uh, Ball in the end zone three times in the first quarter. Don't worry, we can turn it over twice and miss a field goal. Even the last game, Landry Jones of Pittsburgh has won more games in Cleveland than Cleveland in the last two years. (laughs) That sums it up for me. Landry Jones is now 3-2 and two all time, all three wins being against Cleveland. It is a factory of sadness. So um, you know the games Big Ben will play in each season. <laughs> exactly. So wh- why does he have to play them? Because they're going to win anyway. It, it made me laugh. I saw a stat during the week that uh, there were 56 quarterbacks. And I, I, I hadn't yet read the rest of the stats, and I was waiting to see what it was. And it was actually the 56 quarterbacks had started during the 2017 season. None of them named Colin Kaepernick, of course. But I actually thought for a second it was 56 quarterbacks that said, have played for the Cleveland Browns since... It's not far off that the way it's gone over the past four or five years. It's gone badly. But look, it's not just the Cleveland Browns and Hugh Jackson underperformed. Some other people are on the hot seat. Marvin Lewis in the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, this is someone that consistently underperformed. I'm really struggling to understand the two years that they've just given Marvin Lewis. It just... It's baffling. I... I, yeah, I, 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 and nobody, no commentator out there can understand why. Everyone assumed he was gone. Everybody. But again, the way the Bengals is run is completely different to most other organizations. Um, it's like they gave him the contract on the base on the back of winning that game against the Ravens on, on Sunday. And nothing else because they've regressed so badly this season. Yeah, I, I, uh, again, the, the, they still have a talented roster. But I, I just don't know. It baffles me. I don't really see why no. this hasn't been done. But I think it's just this is what they, they're used to. They think, you know. Well, Marvin Lewis, second longest tenured coach in the NFL behind Belichick. 0-7 in the postseason. Still has never won yeah. a postseason game. I um, read a great, comparison, a great comparable last night. The Bengals and Lewis are like the old married couple that never got divorced who, who sleep in separate rooms. <laughs> they just never got away from each other. They never get away from each other. And indeed, the Bengals can't get away from Andy Dalton, who mm. always teases in that regard. I mean, he, he throws that great pass, and we'll come to it, week 17, fourth and 12, 49-yard pass uh, to uh, Tariq Ball, uh, to Boyd uh, to get the touchdown against the Ravens. But for the rest of the season, where, where's that guy been? You know, where's yeah. that guy been to make those throws at the, the important he had a, times? He had a uh, stage from week five on after they got rid of the offensive coordinator where he, he was re-energized. He performed. He fell back to form in terms of how poorly was playing. I mean, I know it, g- it comes back a bit to ownership here. I mean, 
Patriots, and I'm a Patriots fan, obviously, they talk a lot about Belichick and Brady, but Kraft deserves a lot of credit sometimes as well because you can look around the league and look around some of these teams and the ownership decisions are baffling, to, to put it mildly. This year, the Bengals did fire their offensive coordinator, as you alluded to, the first offensive coordinator they'd ever fired in season during their 50-year history. They still haven't fired Marvin Lewis. Bengals fans are not rejoicing at this news. Steelers, Ravens, even Browns fans, however, are happy. And interestingly enough, the defensive coordinator, he probably ties his shoe in for the job if Marvin Lewis left. He's now left. He's yes. the same with the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, I can't recall his name, but he's obviously decided that, you know, I look for another road somewhere else. Well, let's just, let's just spin away from the Bengals then to another area that there's been coordinator moves. The Green Bay Packers. So Mike McCarthy is still the head coach. With an extension. With an extension. GM Ted Thompson is gone. Offensive coordinator is gone. GM Thompson has gone into a a senior advisor role. But they're looking for a new GM. But the offensive coordinator is gone. The defensive coordinator is gone. Look, the 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 quarterback's coach has just been let go as well. Yeah, the Packers' season was destroyed, granted, by losing Rodgers, etc. But Mike McCarthy, again, he has won one Super Bowl has underperformed. The strength of the roster isn't there. And everyone has gone except for him. But I think what they're doing is, uh, in terms of you're an aspiring coordinator and you're kind of going, well, geez, I can go up to Green Bay now and take one of those major positions. And that, it could change a lot of people's careers in terms of a lot of the up-and-coming offensive and defensive coordinators. So I think they're going to get some some really big names in in the coming weeks. Uh, it should be confirmed with who are interested two. in working with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'd exactly. say what you'll find is that guys who fall off the cliff in terms of who've gone in for managerial positions, head coach positions, who don't mm. get well, I the, think actually look for that opportunity to go to Green Bay. The GM role is almost a lock. I mean, I, I can't see a world in where Elliot Wolf doesn't get the yeah. Green Bay. I mean, yeah. Ron Wolf's son, it's it's in the f- it's in the blood, quite yeah. literally. Uh, we, we had a conversation offline during the week where we said you could see, you know, it's it all tends to look like. We have to get rid of Thompson there because we're going to lose Wolf somewhere else. Yeah, so it's succession planning and bringing yeah. him through in relation to it. Defensive coordinator Capers had to go. I, I said this Capers yeah. should have gone years ago. He's been there nine years. It, he fundamentally for me was responsible for the Packers losing to Kaepernick twice when twice he couldn't adapt to defense and couldn't deal with read action. And then also the shambolic display against Seattle where they didn't defend the two-point conversion and couldn't keep a lead of 19 points. You know, that's on the defensive coordinator, if not the head coach. I'd, I'd argue even last year's championship game in Atlanta where, you know, a lot of people, the Packers had gone on a great run. They got in there. A lot of people thought, okay, they've got the momentum to get to the Super Bowl. But by half time in that game, it was, it was over. over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Falcons yeah. just blew them out yeah. in relation yeah. to it. Well, in fairness, a lot of teams last year were blown out by the Falcons. So nobody, nobody read too much into it. Yeah. You know, but, it's, but now when you think back, it was really bad. True, true. Um. Some other ones that I, I, I personally wouldn't have agreed with keeping. Denver Broncos have kept fans Joseph. Pretty appalling first season. Didn't really inspire. They started quite brightly, but fell off a cliff. And when you consider how you know, people like Sean McVay and other first-year coaches performed, um, disappointing doesn't get half it. I mean, but I thought John Elway was going to be pretty ruthless there. Yeah, but uh, you're kind of putting him up on a pedestal to someone like Sean McVay, who nobody predicted was going to do what he's done this year. So now you're kind of saying, well, you're a new coach, you're a similar age, you should be doing what Sean McVay is doing. Oh, he's and a lot I older, in fairness. Yeah, but I, but I, but I don't think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, I think it's the reality well, of the NFL, though. Every other team strives to be like another team in the league, yeah, and it's yeah. comparable when you see Anthony Lynn, okay, the Chargers didn't get that's the playoffs. That's what I was going to say, yeah. He still, he still brought them from where they were last year to where they are now. And he's in the same division, which... But puts into stark contrast yeah. for them. But the Broncos haven't been the same since uh, Manning left on quarterback on offense. And their no. offense hasn't been yeah. as good. So they're still saying that they have this Super Bowl caliber defense. defense. Yeah. But the offense, it's got one or two tools. But when you, like we've just proven this season, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to do it. As in, it's, it, it's one of those things. So I am... I would have been surprised if they had sa- if they got rid of him. Um, so I don't agree with you on that one. I think they, they need to keep him for a year one. I think if you start chopping and changing your, your head coach like that, especially for teams like the Broncos, I, you need a bit of stability. In, I, in I just felt it was a bit strange as well, though, because like, the reality was a lot of coaches got sacked on Monday and like everybody knew pretty much before the games were played on New Year's Eve that those coaches were gone. Where Elway came out after the game and said, I'm going to sleep on this when I make a decision tomorrow, which didn't, didn't inspire confidence. Yeah, yeah. It didn't. It's, it's like... Surely this decision should have been made two weeks ago and you should have came out and, fish, you know, I'm, I'm really behind this coach. Okay, it's been a tough year. You know, we'll move on and we'll see how we get on next year. We'll, we'll you know, we'll work towards the draft and free agency. But to say, oh, we're going to sleep on it tonight, you know, 
didn't probably, really. He's probably yeah. out having a few sherbets that night, you know, <laughs> not sleeping. <laughs> and uh, decisions made the following morning. But hey, so so. But I think the big thing here is so although they haven't got rid of Vance Joseph, they've also they have cleared the house quite a bit. So they've kept on to Bill Musgrave, their offensive coordinator. But they've also announced that they've fired their O line coach, um, their assistant DB coach, their special teams coach, their linebackers coach, um, the assistant head coach and R and B and running back coach, and their wide receiver coach. QB coach. So so they so so they're clearing house on certain that levels. That that kind of smacks to me of Joseph saying, "Back me or sack me." Mm. You know, you either get rid of me or get rid of these guys. Let me bring in my team and see where we get to. But so they're another, as Brian alluded to in the draft, they need a quarterback. They've had three thirds of a quarterback you know um, Paxton Lynch isn't the answer Trevor Simeon isn't the answer Brock Osweiler is never the answer do you know who I think the, the next QB will be Kirk Cousins Eli Eli Manning uh, Sullivan the off- uh, Sullivan the QB coach at the Giants who's now the offensive coordinator is leaving because the Giants have said um, all the coaches are now free to explore alternative options he's in for an interview this week McAdoo is in for a Q- an interview as QB coach. Yeah, so there's two guys that are familiar with Eli, and there's the whole Manning factor because Manning went and played That's there. That's true. It's a very similar situation in terms of Manning was going off the cliff in Indianapolis. He needed somewhere to go off and re-energize his career, and I can see the same thing with Eli, and I can see the Broncos. But I think you, you misheard me. I said they need a quarterback. Oh, well, that's your opinion. They need an actual, full-blooded, yes. capable quarterback. quarterback anyway. A quarterback that's beaten Tom Brady twice in Super Bowls. History. He history, he dear he boy. Can have the, uh, history, he dear his boy. His career can go anyway. On those two days, he beat Tom Brady. That's good enough for me. Okay there, Mark? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> with it. I'm fine with it. I'm just, I'm just laughing at you having to take some solace out of a 3-13 and season. Anyway... Moving on, there are a few other guys that kind of kept their jobs that lots of people were speculating about. Um, Dirk Cotter, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, very disappointing season, didn't really progress. You know, he's been given that. another chance. Bill O'Brien, who was constantly in a flux with uh, Rick Smith, but Rick Smith, very sadly, has gone on an extended leave of absence due to a, an illness to his wife. Yeah. And it's almost like they didn't want to lose both at the same time. So he's been given an extension that seems to be settled in again. Well, my biggest concern with that one is um, is that it seems like Deshaun Watson is now in play in terms of he's only getting involved with the owner and pitching, the shots. pitching on, on Bill's behalf in why he should stay. And I can understand to a certain degree why he should stay because the Texans were, looked like they were, having, they were going in the right direction with Deshaun Watson as quarterback. So Bill O'Brien obviously was getting the best out of him and maybe the owner just feels another year under Bill O'Brien's leadership will help Deshaun Watson. Well, but I just, I just didn't like the way Deshaun Watson is going to the owner and saying... Uh, you know, keep him. Yeah, but uh, but again, I think Bill O'Brien. Uh, problem with if he, if he was let go, he would be one of the most highly sought after True. coaches. So I think that's the Texans have taken that into account as well in terms of he is a good coach. Uh, th- it, the animosity between himself and the GM apparently has been toxic yeah. inside the Texans. <laughs> so I think Bill O'Brien is hoping that the whoever comes in and takes Rick Smith's position is going to be somebody that they can get on with a little well bit more. Well, we got he got very close to last year, Bill O'Brien walking away from the role, and it was mm. purely due to the toxic environment between him and the GM there. And yeah. it would have been the first time since probably someone will come up against later on um, Doug Marone, yeah. somebody walking away voluntarily from the job in their prime. So, uh, yeah, look, he's going to stay on for another year. Some other names that were mooted, look, could they be chucked out uh, Jay Gruden at the, r- the Redskins and even Jason Garrett at the Cowboys I mean yeah. um, Jerry uh, Jerry Jones came out a couple of weeks beforehand and said like I have every confidence in Jason Garrett and I don't think Jason Garrett was worried about his job until Jerry Jones comes out with a vote of confidence then you're panicking Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think I it's the right decision to keep him by yeah the I didn't really see changes for either of those two organisations I, um, I was yeah I would have been very surprised if they got rid of either of those two, two coaches I think Jay Gruden is a very, very good coach. It's just, it's Washington is Washington. It's it's a tough place to, to, to be a head coach. Brian's alluding to the fact of Deshaun Watson calling the shots mm. in uh, Houston. I mean, in Washington, everyone, oh, the players tends to call the shots. Though RG3 was going direct to Snyder, yeah. bypassing Mike Shanahan. It's always that, that methodology, it seems to and be. And I think that's where Gruden, you know, in the end will be, I suppose, that's when next year, for example, if they left, Cousins go and a new quarterback comes in and it doesn't work. I think Dan Gruden will be on the hot seat, <laughs> but um, it's very much a wait and see there in terms of yeah. will the Redskins progress without Cousins? Because I think it's inevitable now he will move him. Okay. He will move him free agency. So guys, they're the guys that were kept. Let's talk about the guys that have gone. So I want to start off with one because there have obviously been some firings, some retirings, and I want to start off by being the first to, to be honest, to wish a happy retirement to the best head coach uh, the Indianapolis Colts ever had. Someone who's a true offensive genius, a deep football thinker, as well as being a genuinely nice bloke. 
Of course, being the Indianapolis Colts, they got rid of their interim head coach, Bruce Arians, and they kept instead the walking ineptitude of Chuck Pagano. Uh, Chuck Pagano of such fame as what a run defense. And how do I ruin Andrew Luck's career? And of course, the infamous how, oh, hang on guys, I've got a great idea for a fake punt. Both are now unemployed. Both are now permanently retired. One did it voluntarily, the other involuntarily. I'm not even wasting my breath on Pagano, guys. Bruce Arians, top bloke, great coach, yeah. you know, walked it off into the sunset. I think uh, Bruce Arians, there's a, the Football Life recently released the Bruce Arians version on, on the Sky Demand, and it's definitely well worth uh, having a listen to. But I think now the big thing is who, who takes his, his role at um, the Arizona Cardinals, who aren't a bad franchise. Um, and it's an interesting one for quite a few people. And I think some of the ones that are being tipped here, the ones I've seen is the Eagles QB's coach, uh, John DeFlippo is, is one that's been um, muted for that job. Yeah. Um, Pat Shermer, Vikings offensive coordinator, is another one that's been mentioned first. And then obviously the ones that are going to get thrown around everywhere. Josh McDaniels, um, Lions offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter. Um, and they're, they're kind of the three the three main or four main ones that everyone is kind of mentioning. The one wild card I put in there is Todd Haley from the Steelers. Yeah. Um, he's been there yeah. before. He was there. I think he was there the year they went to the Super Bowl. He was. He was the offensive coordinator that yeah. year. He knows. Uh, oh, obviously, as well, we should acknowledge Carson Palmer has retired as well. It's kind of got lost in the mix. Yeah. So you don't have a quarterback there as yeah. well, which is going to be a problem for. Yeah. Like if you see, like I, and, I d and I think that's why it, it will rule out Josh McDaniels. I think he only goes somewhere where there's an actual QB in place for him to, to work with. Well, depending on. I would or, I depend I'd or, or, or depending on draft pick. Yes, yes. Or depending yep. on draft pick. But, um, um, but Todd Haley would be an interesting one. I like that idea because obviously Arians left offensive coordinator as the Pittsburgh Steelers was retired by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another classy move. You know, he's retired. And he goes, no, I've not retired. I'm going to look for another job. And then coached for another, uh, well, nearly a decade in the end. Between I think this season in particular where the Cardinals started off so poorly. And look, it's an 8-8 eight eight season and they've had other 8-8 eight eight seasons. But... The way they came on with literally no quarterback. Parma was gone. Stanton got injured. They were down to Gabbard. Da yeah, David Johnson was injured. The Honey Badger was out. Tyrone Matthew for the most and of the season. They finished off well. and like, They finished off well last season, but there was something different about this year. But obviously the players probably had a kind of a, you know, kind of a d an indication that he was going to retire and they were playing for him. Even at the end, the great respect. The fact that like so many times in the NFL where you see coaches say, please don't say a word, and players are out there straight away in the media. You know, saying what they have to say. He said, "I'm going to tell the media. None of these, none of the players are going to tell the media." Told every single player after the game, no one's to mention my my situation. He obviously, he did the press conference on Monday. It's a shame because um, even when he came over to the UK and Kevin Cale just passed away, the first thing he said was, "Kevin Cale's passed away. I'm conscious he's really big to people in the UK for NFL." He, we didn't even bring it. The first thing wasn't even about the game. It was about the fact that he'd passed away. Have you, um, Gordo, just bring you in this? I mean, did you see his going away um, press conference? Because I have to admit, it's one of those almost brings mm -hmm. a tear to the eye because he, you know, breaks out his heart and he's very much a heart and the sleeve type type of guy. But he kind of goes on to say, "We love Arizona. We love Phoenix. We're gonna we're gonna stay here. Yeah. Uh, you know, we set up the foundation. We're gonna stay in the community. We're gonna continue our foundation. Our work. Can't wait to work with kids and stuff like that." And he kind of. You know, NFL, it's a big business. You can be very cynical about some of this stuff. But it was really genuine, I think. Well, I think um, nobody was fully sure he was actually going to retire because, and he said it in the dressing room afterwards, quote, I probably didn't truly know until the kick went through that I was going to retire. Everybody was speculating. It's been an unbelievable journey. And I think that's the thing about Bruce Arian. And if you watch the football live, and I would strongly recommend it to anybody, you see the sort of character that he is. And his wife says it as well. Nobody wanted to give him a head coaching job for years. He lived, but he kept pressing ahead. And the reason being is sometimes he is a little bit too honest or comes out, you know, d d he doesn't play the politics um, well in the NFL. has always been his downfall, according yeah. to others. Um, but then the thing is, everyone says he is one of the nicest people to have graced the NFL. You're right on that one. And in particular, the Chicago Bears situation a couple of years ago, it was he was a front runner against Mark Trespin for the Bears job. The Bears made a big mistake in not taking him. They went with Mark Trespin because their focus was on who's going to get the best out of Jay Cutler. And they asked him in the interview process, how are you going to manage Jay? And he goes, I'm going to manage Jay Cutler the same way as I manage every other player. He says, my career stands for itself. If you want me to come in and manage a player, I'm not the guy for you. And obviously they went with Mark Chessman because he had been very good in terms of his career, you know, in terms of different quarterbacks. Big mistake. Player power in action again. That brings us nicely to the Bears. John Fox, well overdue to be gone, in fairness. Yeah. Um, some would argue that... Uh, you know, the Carol of one one off season, strange season with the Carolina Panthers and one strange season with the 
uh, outlier season with the Denver Broncos have kept his career going. But uh, he is now the former coach of the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears organization and fans probably look back to Lovey Smith and kind of say, well, why did we fire that guy who went 10-6 and six the season he was fired again? And, you know, sometimes better the devil you know than the devil you don't. They're in the job market again, are looking for another head coach. Ryan Pace, obviously, as GM, is going to lead up this chase. Guys, who do you see going to the Chicago Bears? Well, I think it, uh, it's been confirmed that they've requested two interviews, one with um, Josh McDaniels, yep. the Patriots, and then also Pat Shermer. So there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of names thrown around by the same team. Steve teams. Wilkes is also now confirmed. So there's three in the run. Yeah. Y- y- you're Gordon, you're going to touch on there. These names which Gordon's called now, they're getting interviews everywhere. Yeah. You know, so it is hard at this stage to say, you know, who is going to go to Chicago. But, but they, uh, Wilkes is the one that interests me there because I think they probably need a defensive coach more than an offensive coach. And there are differences in philosophy. Let's, let's be honest. I know some people say, oh, it doesn't matter offensive, defense. It, it does. because but that defense has actually been very good this year for the Bears. Well yeah, it, it, and it I think that's the thing you can develop further. Well, the one name that's been thrown around as um, a, a dark horse on the defensive side is the Texas defensive coordinator, Mike uh, Rabel. Yeah, who again only had one season, only as, a had one season as a D coordinator, but I think apparently the respect that he commands from a dressing room is just amazing to see because, again, he's a former player, former Patriots, Patriot, Patriots. Bel- of the Belichick um, uh, background. So he's one that has been highly tipped, but a lot of people are going to say, does he need another year or two as a coordinator? But I suppose the only the only know. player in NFL history, I think, that has more than ten sacks and more than ten touchdowns. Every yeah. catch he ever caught for the was Pats, for a touchdown. For the Pats, he was defensive tight end and special teamers. Uh, well, he he would play outside linebacker, but yeah. tight end on trick plays and famously called two touchdowns in back to back Super Bowls. Um, uh, and you know, it was always a standard play. Brady uh, Vrabel comes in as tight end, might block and might just leak out for a pass pattern. Uh, Steve Wilkes, I, I can't recall the actual where the link is, but he had ties to Lovey Smith previously. Yes. And I think there's, there's, there's something in that in terms of why he will uh, end possibly end up in Chicago. And like he re- he's definitely going to get a job because people are going to look at the Sean McDermott situation with him leaving Carolina's defensive corner and going to Buffalo. Buffalo made the playoffs. We'll come to that later. And Wilkes is obviously in that same situation there where he's had a great year. Panthers have made the playoffs. He's taking that defense that was there. Kind of tweaked it the way he wants it, and they pro- they progress very well. well. It, it, it's interesting they say defense because it is the the kind of the coordinators, the defensive coordinators keep getting tipped for this job. Because the other one, the final one I'll bring in is Dennis Allen, uh, sort of former Oakland head coach who's turned the Saints defense around. Um, so he's one that's been tipped as well for the fact that he does have the experience as a head coach, and he's turned that defense in the Saints into. Quite an interesting yeah, very good defense. So, yeah, yeah. If, if you're looking at the defensive, he fixed roof it finally. Yeah, I, the, I, I think he's got a, be- a very good shot because I think people are going to get bored with Pat Shermer and Josh McDaniels. And to be honest, the big thing people keep bringing up about Josh McDaniels is uh, yeah, but he only went 11 and 17 as Broncos coach. Pat Shermer had a nightmare as the Browns coach before. Their only head coaching experience, neither of them performed. They've built back up the reputations, they are the hot offensive coordinators. I think McDaniels is almost a guarantee to leave New England at this stage. Not only, I think he looked at J- uh, Sean McVay and said, well, he's now the hot property. I can't miss my boat. I'm only 41, but I need to get back on the pedestal. And in fairness, and this is a New England Patriot fan saying this, why would you wait around for the Patriots job? They have traded Jimmy Garoppolo. When Brady retires and Belichick retires, you're left with nothing except an overhang of a huge legacy. Robert Kraft had three coaches. Bill Parcells, who previously won the Super Bowl. Pete Carroll, who went on to win the Super Bowl. And Bill Belichick, who's won five Super Bowls with the franchise. The next coach that goes in there, it is... You're, you're on hiding to nothing. And McDaniels has probably said, well, if you'd left Jimmy G there, I might have hung around in two, three years' I'd time. I had something to work with. I had something to work with. But now he, he's going to go. Patricia, surprisingly, looks like he's going as well. The other outlier, and actually he's been requesting an interview with the Arizona is the Patriots linebackers coach, Brian Flores. And actually, as a Pats fan, we don't want to lose him because he's the next presumptive defensive coordinator. So we'll see. To wrap up some other guys, okay, so I said the Colts have lost Pagano. Who replaces him? Uh, Main job is going to be try and prepare and fix Andrew Luck and try and learn what a run defense looks like. New York Giants, we've talked about before in other podcasts. McAdoo is gone. It's a very storied franchise, Brian. It's maybe not the greatest job in the world, given some of the gaps and the issues they're going to have to deal with, but it will be very interesting. Great ownership, great history there. And right now, I couldn't honestly tell you who's going to get the coach. I know, look, I read forums every day and there's no inkling out there. Like, they're interviewing McDaniels, Patricia, Jim Swartz, Steve Wilkes, Pat Shermer. Spags interviewed yesterday. 
Eric yeah. Studville, who, to be honest, I've known nothing about from Denver. There's so many people due to interview this week. So, I mean, the Giants have seven different people already, at least, being interviewed in the first instance, and but we'll uh, see. Uh, good in a way, because Mara did say like, at the press conference last week when David Gettleman was introduced as general manager, he goes, the, the network this time for the head coach will be far and wide. The last time, it was limited to three people, and McAdoo was the one who picked in the end. In the end, that wasn't the right decision. The fairness to them, what I will say this time is, they're covering every single angle. So Yeah, we'll they're, be, so they're being very, very, very yeah. thorough. But the one thing, sorry, w- one more point, one more point. If you look at through all these teams, there's only about four or five guys realistically in, in the in the running for all of these jobs. Every single name has been banded about across all those jobs. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. the, I'm going to come to one key exception in a second, but I'll just also mention the Lions obviously got rid of the Walking Dead, Jim Caldwell, and they look almost nailed on to get some kind of defensive guy. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Wilkes, Vrabel are the key names. Okay, I think and in contention there. And they've also in, they've, they have interviewed Jim Bob Cooter and Terrell Austin. You see, I think you should give Jim Bob Cooter a chance there, but yeah. unfortunately they've got to deal with the fact that Matthew Stafford cannot beat playoff teams. Yeah. He proved it again this season. They, the stats keep getting worse every season. So I, I don't think Matthew Stafford is the problem. I, I honestly do. They've given him 135 million. They're stuck to him, and he cannot mm. beat the big teams when it counts. Well, well apparently the big thing because Matt Patricia is top of the list reportedly for the Lions, but I suppose the issue that they have, and this is coming from uh, Andy Benoit of the MMQB, is apparently a lot of GMs are worried about what offensive coordinator he'd want to bring in. So, so don't bring in one. Keep Jim Bilkuta if you yeah, can. So 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 that's a that's an interesting one. The fact that. Uh, GMs are worried about. So obviously Matt Patricia last year when he was interviewing has bandied around offense coordinator names that people don't like. It'd be interesting to know who they are. But yes, I think that's that's the big one. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. But Brian, I'm going to criticize you on one point. You said the same four or five names being banded around for every job. There is one exception. On uh, the Sunday before Black Monday, reports started to leak out from the Oakland Raiders oh, course, that yeah. Jack Del Rio will be let go. Not only were rumors leaking that Jack Del Rio be let go, but that John Gruden would be asked to come out from the Monday Night Football desk and to rejoin the Oakland Raiders. Now, Mark Davis in the last while, I, I think I'm on record on the pod of saying what an amazing business deal in terms of the uh, Las Vegas move and unbelievable financial deal from him from Oakland. However, John Gruden, the only positives I can say is if you move into Vegas... He's got the box office. He's got the name recognition for the high rollers, for the entertainment, for the glad handing. He'll be genius at that. But we are talking about someone that every Monday night goes live on national television in the States and says, I don't understand how the game's called these days. I don't understand past experience. I, I love that guy. I love that guy. He's amazing. He's amazing. He hasn't coached in nearly 10 years. The only Super Bowl he won was with the team he jilted you for, the year, you know, the year before, yeah. and then beat you in the Super Bowl. Mm. Since that Super Bowl, he never won another playoff game. Um, why? I, th- this is a story I've been following really closely, and I've been listening to quite a few different people on it. And there's a lot of theories on why John Gruden has been picked by um, the Oakland Raiders. And the fact is, also, you have to remember here, they have pretty much bypassed the Rooney Rule, which isn't which isn't going to go down. Going to well, say that, which as well, isn't yeah. going to go down. Well, no, sorry. When we say bypass, they're potentially going to interview people, but regardless, they're probably going to face a 300 grand fine um, for this. But the big thing about John Gruden is, one, he was very, very... Because, again, he, it's in the last few years, he's not enjoying the commentary. Uh, the commentary job. He doesn't enjoy it anymore. He's wanted to come back. Everyone has said it has played with him. Chris Sims said it recently, who was the quarterback with him at Tampa Bay, who had the series bust up with him, has got come out and said he's known he's going to get back in, back in coaching. It was just where and when he would land. And apparently when Derek Carr was coming out, he was so high on Derek Carr, he basically, Mark Davis picked Derek Carr in that draft because of the Great. John Gruden's recommendations and how high he was on him. And I think the big thing about Gruden over the last 10 years is he spent a lot of time traveling the country, is my understanding, basically picking up, like you do in the NFL, stealing plays and you know stealing inspiration from whoever. And also don't forget, he sees all these quarterbacks that have come into the league. He takes them to that um, John Gruden's, Gruden's QB, QB camp, camp every yeah. year and... He does in-depth uh, tactics with them. And I don't think anybody questions his tactical mind. I just think sometimes it was a lot to do with his intensity. And that it depends on how that will go down with the players themselves. Because he can be apparently very intense. and he He's is very not much called Chucky for no reason. He is 24-7. Well, he's, yeah, he's clearly fed up with the commentary anyway. Because even ESPN is the afterthought for the NFL schedule. You know, Monday night, they don't get a great list of games. If he wanted to stay in commentary, he probably would have moved to NBC or one of the other bigger guys by now. Um, there's another thing that's ESPN paying the most though 
ESPN pay the most. Not as much as the Oakland Raiders. No, that's true. Ten million a year. But it also about. we got to get a, 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 some ownership. Well, you see, this and keeps this has to go past twenty-one times. This keeps getting floated around. He's actually come out and said, "No, there's no suggestion yeah. he get an ownership, and it can't. It can't happen. There's no, there's, 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 there's no way because that, yeah, I don't think there's an ownership stake in it because if you're paying a, a coach ten to twelve million a year, is the numbers been bandied around, which is apparently a million to two million more than Bill Belichick is on. Yeah. There's no way they're throwing in an ownership stake. Now, they are saying it's going to be roughly around a five-year contract and will be very hard for any for the uh, Oakland Raiders to get out of. Um, but I, I think it's a done deal. I think he is going to be there. I think he could be excellent for Derek Carr. Um, Chris Sims, who was on with Peter King of the MMQB on his podcast, basically said like Derek Carr's number has dropped. He just doesn't seem to have the, I suppose, the attention that he had the year before. And someone like John Gruden is going to come in and be up his ass 24-7. And I think you could see Derek Carr rejuvenate next year. You've got a Khalil Mack, you have a QB, and you have Amari Cooper. They need so much work on the defense, though. Okay, it's not just Khalil Mack. And, and that's, that's the thing. A lot of these jobs, the reason they've come open is because the teams aren't great. There's lots mm. of gaps. There's lots of issues. If you're any coach going into them, you probably want the five-year contract <laughs> because you need a couple of years to establish yourself. You need a bit of security. Parking Niners like. Th exactly. Carl Shanahan. It was going to go, give me six years, so I've got a degree of certainty, and I know I can build something. I mean, anybody going into the Giants, I think Manning's going to be a huge question mark. Who's your next quarterback? Developing that quarterback, etc. You want the security of a long-term commitment and building up something over a couple uh, of years. Funny enough, he's commentating on the Chiefs game on Saturday. That's the yes. game that just yeah. hit by chance. So he'll be in the Chiefs training camp on Thursday because the commentators get to go in and watch all the practices. I wonder how the Chiefs feel about that now, bearing in mind that they know he's going to be the, qu um, sorry, the head coach in the same division next season. It could yeah. be it could be very interesting. Some teams restrict it. I know the Patriots limit it, and they say you of can course, have an interview of with of the coach and the quarterback. Yeah. Well, it's sensible, in fairness. Um, right, I, so, and then Del Rio now because Del Rio has no he's no plans to retire. I imagine so. He's going to be an interesting yeah, yeah, name floating around there but now. Uh, but He'll look to get back in. I soon think enough. Del Rio will take a year out. Yeah, he's making so. yeah he's making enough money. They had to pay him off big time. To get they rid they of had him. to pay him off. Then three might year, be he signed a three year contract. Yeah, yeah, so there might be a restraint of trade even uh, in relation to it. So you can't take another job. He'll end up as an offense coordinator somewhere. And I mean, you could see he, uh, talk about emotion in Arians' conference. It it hurt Del Rio. I mean, the oh, Raiders yeah. were his boyhood team. He was delighted to be the coach of the uh, Oakland uh, Raiders. His parents are Raiders fans. And he, his line was, I, I just thanked him for the opportunity to, to coach my privilege. team. Privilege and everything. And yeah, uh, that's why I don't think he'll, he'll pack it in. I think he'll look to come back and bite them. <laughs> John Gruden style. Anyway, that ties up the bit of the coaching analysis. Let's get back to the football a little mm. bit. Guys, we wrapped up. Uh, we, we Our last uh, podcast was before week 15, unfortunately, the Christmas break and all. In the meantime, we missed a few good weeks. 15 and 16 were interesting. Certainly one very interesting game between the Patriots and the Steelers, which I know Gorda doesn't want to talk about. Um, but we've wrapped up the regular season. A very poor week 17, really overall, but drama at the end. And as we wrapped up our final 12 uh, for the postseason, um, we have the, the key seeds, Pats and Steelers in the AFC, Eagles and Vikings. They're all in a bye week this week. And then we have the wildcard teams who are all playing this weekend. So... The other divisional winners with third and fourth seeds were the Chiefs and the Jags in the AFC, the Saints and the Rams in the NFC, and then we had the wild cards. And for the NFC, it was straightforward. It was either the Falcons or the Seahawks, and if the Falcons win, yeah. they're through. They did. They scraped it out. Not very pretty, but they got through it. Um, so them and the, um, the Panthers. Panthers. Yeah, sorry. I'm just looking at them and the Panthers got through three NFC South teams, as I think as uh, Brian himself were predicting a few weeks ago. But on the AFC, to say it was wild. up for grabs and wild would be putting it mildly. And it came down to the Bengals versus the Ravens. Fourth and 12, Andy Dalton, 49-yard touchdown to Tyreek Boyd. The Bills, on foot of that play, make the postseason with the Ravens' loss. The Bills, for the first time since 1999, when Wade Phillips was the head coach and Doug Flutie was their leading passer, make the playoffs, breaking the oldest, uh, the longest streak in current American uh, sporting history of not making the playoffs. Um, wild, crazy, the they fan were, videos are hilarious. Oh, brilliant. The, the video, in one in particular, the one on the concourse in, in the stadium in Miami where all the fans are watching the end of it, and it's like the initial celebrations because they got the f they've got the force down and they're in field goal range to, oh my God, he actually might score a touchdown here, and it was just, Pandemonium after that was brilliant. Really good. 
Do we all know who called the Bills to make the playoffs? Gordon did. Thank you very much. Gordon, you, you told me the Packers were going to win the last three. I yeah. was going to yeah. say, let's not go there. <laughs> Week 15, Packers <laughs> are going 3-0 and oh, and they're going to make a wild card. Rodgers lasts, what, a game and a half? <laughs> oh. Actually, I mean, it's, it's gone under the radar, but of course the Packers might get fined for breaching the yeah. IR rules. Uh, yeah, because he'd, he'd become a free agent then. Well, they, they, of course the NFL aren't going to enforce the release, which they should do under the rules because rules only seem to apply when they want to apply them against the Patriots. In week nine podcast, I said Rodgers could become a uh, free agent at the end of the season. <laughs> if <laughs> he had seven contracts, <laughs> I knew what was coming. Well, I mean, actually, to just fill in uh, listeners if they hadn't heard, so Rodgers came back from IR, plays one game, the Packers decide to shut him down, put him back on IR. But the rules against IR are that you cannot put an uninjured player on IR. He had no further injury from the game, so therefore the rules dictate that any player placed in this fashion should be released and therefore subject to open waivers or open free agency. Uh, Packers have basically gone quiet. The NFL's gone quiet. But if I'm the NFLPA, the Players Association, I'm saying, oh, it's all well and good for Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers surely does need to go as a free agent, get the biggest quarterback contract of all time, and that's better for all our players. I mean, what about the, the second-string linebacker who's stashed by a team by chucking him on IR? And, you know, we've got to protect all our players. I'm actually annoyed, and I know Packers fans are going to hate this, but if they're doing their job properly as a players' union, you they should, should be jumping up and down about this. Unfortunately, because of the Packers and this storied franchise nonsense that we have to listen to all the time and the fact that Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, they won't touch it. But if that was another club like the Jags or yeah, the it would Bengals, be or he'd be out the door and that would be it. And uh, there'd be a nice, sorry, a kind of strange kind of serendipity. The Packers were the first people to truly benefit from free agency with the Reggie White acquisition from Philadelphia Eagles at the time. It would kind of be very strange if they lose such a franchise player. Like if they want to lose Rodgers and McDaniels becomes the Giants head coach, <laughs> he, he wants to pick up Rodgers, I'll be satisfied. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen, but still, just it's it's a little bit of frustration. As I said, though, let's let return to the game so week 17 was bad the Bills got in we're down to our final 12 we said sorry we said earlier on how Andy Dalton isn't very popular in Cincinnati he's very popular in Buffalo <laughs> so his foundation has has had $170,000 donated, uh, donated from, from Buffalo, Buffalo in the past week Dalton Avenue in in Buffalo is now lit up with the Buffalo Bills colours and Andy Dalton's redhead colours um, there's a little mini miniature statue of him at the stadium now I mean, if he ends up on free agency, you know, with, with Tyra Taylor moving over Buffalo, at least you know where to somewhere he can go. There, there is one thing, actually, about the Ravens blowing that opportunity. Obviously, they've, they've made their house this year basically on their defense, very much carried their offense for a number of uh, weeks here. They'd only given up 15 passing touchdowns in 15 games. So, of course, what happens is in the final game, Dalton torches them for, uh, for three touchdowns after throwing four interceptions in the prior couple of weeks before that. And, of course, converting on the 4th and 12. Yeah. It's just bizarre. Well, uh, whatever about the way the game played out, the fact that just two minutes to go, the Bengals, who you know, aren't recognised as a team that can go up and down the field score against teams, they get the ball at their own 15-yard line, starting off a drive, which you just think... It's, n it's over. Ravens are going to see this out. Yeah. You know. but, but I have to admit, uh, the NFL doesn't get credit when it does things well. And one of the things they did well, uh, granted it was only because of New Year's Eve, putting all those games on at the same time was dramatic, was exciting... Also, their insistence that Week 17 has to be divisional games. The Bengals are going to play hard because it's the Ravens. Yeah. They're still going to play hard. They still want to be their divisional rivals. You saw it with the Lions and the uh, Packers. The Lions did a trick play for a two-point conversion. Just literally stick two fingers up at the Packers yeah. because they're the divisional rivals. Um, that's the type of edge you want when it comes down to the final yeah. game of the season. Um, as a Pats fan, I feel it's necessary since the Flategate was all sort of you know, resolved, if you like. The Ravens haven't made the playoffs. The Colts haven't made the playoffs. Hate to say it, guys. Payback's a bitch. Anyway, um, moving on to the games, as I, as I said at the start, let's break down each of the wild card games. And why don't we start with our Buffalo Bills? Buffalo Bills are going away 9-7 and seven on the season to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are 10-6 and six on the season, 11-5, uh, winners of the AFC South for the first time in a very, very long time. Of course, the Jags made the AFC uh, Championship game back in 1999 with a certain Tom Coughlin. Now Tom Coughlin, as de facto GM and director of football operations, has helped along with Doug Marone. Is this not the Doug Marone revenge bowl, by the way? 
Oh, in terms of because he was in Buffalo. Because he was in Buffalo and he walked away. He basically said, it's not me, guys, it's you. Yeah, and then um, a lot of people thought he was walking away because the Jets' job was there for him. And he ended up with Buffalo and he took a year out and ended up in Jacksonville. The only thing concerning me at the moment, we're going to talk about the game now and not the circumstances behind it. Um, The Jags have lost the last two games. uh, Two games. I suppose you could argue they probably didn't need to win last weekend's game, but when they went into San Francisco two weeks ago, they got blitzed very badly on defense, a defense that's been really good all season. But I think this is a game too far for the Bills. They're three and five on the road. I mean, they haven't been convincing on the road. Their defense is very good. But on offense, you know, they have a fairly restricted offense as it is, and the fact that McCoy is very, very doubtful to play, and if he does play, he's going to be playing with one leg. Um, I'd imagine the Jags will have enough. And I mean, we're looking at the betting front here that the Jags are minus seven and a half. But in fact, the Jags have now gone to minus nine since then. So on the back of the bet on the base that McCoy, if he does play, will won't be a hundred percent. I, I saw him minus eight and a half this morning, so it's yeah. gone out again. Yeah. Gone out again. Without McCoy at a full tilt, you know, it's gonna be a difficult enough game anyway against that Jags defence. And I just think the Jags will win this game. And in fact I think the Bills Super Bowl really interior was last weekend, as we said. Yeah. We joked yeah. about the celebrations after, but it felt like that. It was very much I can't believe we made the si- this, uh, the playoffs and it was like the biggest thing that's happened to them but to stretch too far, and I think the Jags will win the game comfortably. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 w- I'm with you. And I think the Jags will win it, but I don't. I'm not too sure about how comfortably they'll win it. I think the the Bills' defense is still quite impressive. Um, and in terms of the betting, if it's gone to minus nine, plus nine for the Bills at evens is it's it, it's not a bad bet at all. Um, and it's one that I like. The Bills at plus nine. So, uh, but I don't think I can't see the Bills winning this one. Um, I I do think the Jags losing to San Francisco was just very surprising. And it showed that their defense is good, but when against a top, top caliber QB, they can struggle. And Garoppolo is just proving that he's just pinpoint accuracy at the moment. Um, so, no, I think the Jags win this one. Um, but I do like the Bills uh, on the uh, plus. On the yeah. it, it's look, it's going to be about a game of offen- offensive ineptitude in some respects. I mean, even if Shady plays, he only had six rushing touchdowns on the season. Taylor only threw for 14 touchdowns for Buffalo on the whole season. You guys are absolutely right. Jags have had two bad games. 44 points can see the 49ers. They lost in a very scrappy game, 15 points to 10 to the Titans. But as long as Blake Bortles doesn't try throwing the ball or something stupid than that, like that, they've something better than three nets. They've Leonard Fournette. And Leonard Fournette is going to rip the fourth worst run defense of the Buffalo Bills to shreds, in my particular opinion. I mean, I look at this in one simple way. Look... Um, Leopold Bloom had a great day in Dublin in Ulysses and the Bills fans finally had a day to celebrate in uh, last Sunday but it's only one day for both of them the Jags will walk this one yeah so taking that let's take a look at the other side of the AFC um, and actually sorry I want to say take it one step further and really annoy J- uh, uh, Gordon for a second the Jags are not only going to win this they'll then go next week over to Pittsburgh and they'll beat the that. Steelers yeah the outcome of that means they will, they will go to um Pittsburgh. Who they've already beaten, 39, but this but season. Big Ben says he wants to play them again because he wants to prove that that game where he threw five interceptions was a fluke. Five interceptions with two pick sixes, yeah. And they, they will be at home, but I think that will be a, a very fascinating game. Yeah. The other side, the Tennessee Titans sneaked in as a wild card, fifth seed. They're going away to the Kansas City Chiefs. Ten and six on the season. Chiefs' season made up of three stretches. Five and zero oh to begin, one and six. Then when they replace their offensive coordinator... Andy Reid giving up the play-calling duties and handing it all over to Matt Nagy. They went 4-0 and with an average win of 11.8 points per game. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the... We were a big fan of the Chiefs starting off. We we were wondering when they would, you know, kind of stutter a little bit. They did mid-season, and now they've come back again. And it seems... T- it, it, it's always a strange dynamic. It was in a simple change like that, and it's a quick fix, as in... It was kind of it was surprising to see. I do think that the Chiefs have just got some really really good weapons. You've got Kelsey, you've got Smith, um, Kareem, Hunt. Kareem Hunt is back. You know th- they've got some really good offensive weapons. Um, the Titans have just had a very strange year, really strange. A lot of injuries. Um, their offensive line hasn't been as good as everyone um, pipped them to be. They were down to be one of the top three to four offensive lines in the game, and they just haven't been this season. Um, so yeah, my money on this one is going to be the Chiefs. I think they'll keep on winning. Um, they're at minus eight at the moment, and I think that's a, a generous enough handicap to be giving them. Yeah, they, they've definitely been sketching offense. I was lauding their offensive line before the season, and you're absolutely right, Gordon. They haven't performed, mm-hmm. but Marcus Mariota really hasn't performed on the season. He's 13 yeah. TDs, 
and 15 interceptions. Uh, yeah. It's not the performance that people were expecting no. or hoping for. I, I think he took too many hits this year, and, and the injury definitely derailed him as well. Um, and I think we've seen that once a quarterback gets a serious yeah. enough injury, he does struggle to come back. Brian, look, the Chiefs are six and two at home. The Titans are two and six away from home, with only two divisional wins against the the Jags and Texans. Is there any hope for them? I really don't see it. In fact, of all four games this weekend, I think this is the biggest blowout that's going to come down the line. I, I'd have to agree with with uh, Gordon. Minus eight to me looks very generous on the handicap. In fact, you can even drop it to seven if you're want to play a little bit more safety. You know, just in case you only win by the touchdown. But I can see this being a three-score game. Mariota's been very poor. They've won two games on the road. They were struggling the last few weeks. I mean, they were on a losing, you know, a losing uh, sequence before going into last weekend's game, and it was very much winning your in scenario. But did you, as we said, the Jags didn't probably play a full tilt last weekend. No. And even with that, they still only won the game 15-10 with, with a late scramble to get a force down, which inevitably won the game for them. Tyne's defense hasn't been bad this season, it must be said. I mean, even with Logan Ryan, who went from the Pats, he's had zero inceptions. But the, t- the defense has played tough, but it's been too scrappy. And if you look at the Chiefs' home record this season, I mean, the, the wins, they blew out the Broncos, they blew out, they blew out the Chargers, who were actually on a good one at the, t- at the time, blew out the Raiders, blew out the Dolphins. Eagles was a very good win. It was a close one, but I haven't seen how the Eagles have played out. Yeah. It was a big win, and they blew out the Redskins. So they've nearly covered the handicap in nearly every home game they've had this season. And Arrowhead will be loud, and it'll be a very I see the Chiefs as a dark horse here, because as you said, if the Jags win, and they go to uh, Pittsburgh, then Kansas City will go into New England. We saw what happened in week one. Earlier on in the season, the podcast, I kind of called out the fact that I wish the Chiefs had beaten the Steelers and played the championship game last year against the Patriots because I felt they would have given the Patriots a better game. I think if any team can knock off the Patriots at the moment, it's the Chiefs. Uh, I, I can only say two things. That One is the only time Pats played the Chiefs in recent postseason, obviously we blew them out in an AFC divisional game. The the Chiefs have moved on from where they they were. And uh, with with apologies to William Shakespeare and and, uh, Shylock in particular, I I feel like I want to say that I am a Pat. You know, I have not a Pat eyes, hands, senses, passions, dimensions. You know, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And most importantly, if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? I want the Chiefs. I want the revenge. You said that about the Super Bowl. In the I did say about the Super Bowl <laughs> in 2011 <laughs> as well, I know. I, I always leave this podcast feeling more educated after spending a in the company of Mark, you know, breaking out Shakespeare, a lot of poetic uh, uh, extracts that he brings to this <laughs> podcast. There's a se- if there's a so season-ending montage for the podcast, we can just take out all his Shakespeare quotes. Yeah, <laughs> put, put them all into one, yeah. All right, I'll stop, I'll stop. Okay, moving on. You're, um, you're going with the Chiefs, though, yeah? I'm going with, absolutely. I'm going with the Chiefs, walking it. Um, I, I actually think the only game I'm going to go against the home team is the next game, Falcons at the Rams. So I actually think the Falcons not only are going to win this game, but have an interesting backdoor approach potentially to the Super Bowl. So I see if you're the Falcons, you're playing this rookie uh, effectively a rookie quarterback, rookie running back, very young head coach, Los Angeles, first playoff game in a long time, might be too hyped. We've seen it before. Tennessee Titans a few years ago were 14-2 and two and completely imploded in the playoff game. They just Hysteria. Uh, yeah, hysteria almost got too much of them. Falcons have been there, done that, doing good things on defense. Offense starting to click a bit more. If, and I know it's a few ifs, but if the Falcons won away to the Rams, their route then is against the Eagles which is not scary anymore with Nick Foles as the quarterback. And then potentially, if you assume, for example, the Saints won out, they would go to the Saints, who are a divisional rival, who they know inside and out. That's not going to be the most terrifying thing to go to. Of course, they could be going to Minnesota as well, which so would be I a different story. I think that's the crux of the playoffs. But the if, they, if they get through this, I, I actually think next, and I know we're going ahead ourselves, I, Saints are going to be Panthers, I think. So it's going to be the Saints-Vikings game is going to really be the, the key game on the NFC side. Of I think the whole... But the f- side of the side of the coin in terms of their uh, their cha- their divisional conference, um, it all stems around Minnesota. Yeah. You know, the Vikings. W- if if the Eagles go, every game to the Super Bowl in theory, if the Vikings win, stays in Minnesota. Will they be the first team to play the super play a Super Bowl in their home stadium? Yeah. Very um, very possibly. And uh, sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves onto the Vikings, but of course, we also have to remember the weird stats of the twelve teams that have got through here. So out of the 12 teams that have got through to the Super Bowl, you have to remember that seven of the, sorry, six of these have all played 
in Super Bowls before and never won. We have 15 combined losses between the Titans, Panthers, Falcons, Eagles, and especially Vikings and Bills with four losses each. I mean, the Vikings, four losses in four appearances. You've got the Rams, Chiefs, and Saints who all picked up one. And then, of course, uh, Patriots and the Steelers who have lots of Super Bowls wins between them. There's a real dichotomy. But Vikings, Super Bowl 52, we've had the historic comebacks. We've had all kinds of history being set in the last season. Could they be the ones to do it pillar to post at home during the offseason? Really interesting. Yeah. On this particular game, I can see where you're going in terms of why you think the Falcons can win. But for me, having rested players last week for the Rams, I think that was the right approach. And I mean, it was a, it was a looking game against the 49ers. Gordy, Goff, everybody refreshed. The, um, Whitford on the offensive line. The offensive line was pretty much taken out of the game. Um, it's an explosive offense. And as much as I can understand where you're coming from in terms of the nervousness of a forced game in the playoffs for quite some time, Falcons offense hasn't been good this season. New offensive coordinator, Justin hasn't kicked off. Okay, they won last weekend, but they've been winning games vast majority on their defense this season. Yes. And yeah. um, I just find it hard to believe that they can go in and right the wrongs of their offense this season. I think that the Rams, I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout like the other two games, but I think the Rams will win the game. Yeah, I'm kind of, um, I'm siding with Brian on this one. I, do, I, I, I don't think the, the home record for the Rams has been that impressive. Five losses, again, one of which being the 49ers, which... You could argue. Yeah, it was a, no- a nothing game. But again, th- they don't seem to play as well at home um, as they do away, evidently. Um, but I just think Gurley has put in a season that has just been amazing. He's just finding holes. He's also a receiving threat. Um, uh, Goff's uh, relationship with his um, rookie wide receiver, Cup. Cooper Cup, Cooper, yeah. Cooper Cup has been brilliant to see, and and Cooper Cup's not even the number one wide receiver really. It's well kind it's of Sammy Watkins. Yeah, so he's the second second um, receiver for for Goff. Um, and Woods, who came in from the Bills, I want to say, has been really good. Yeah, so I think I think the big thing that the Falcons are kind of figuring out is can they bring enough defensive schemes in to mess with Sean McVay and mess with Goff? Because I suppose the big thing with McVay and Goff is the simplicity of the offensive plays and. And the, quick speed and the speed and how quick they can change them. So it'll be interesting to see can um, Quinn change that around for the Falcons on defense and upset them. And and if you put Goff on the back foot and you know make it harder for him, does that will that affect the entire offense from the Rams? And I think it will. Well, but, I mean I like but I still think the Rams are just they've had such a good season. I'd love to see them win. That's why a bit more kind of diversity. Really yeah, well, look, we we should allude, to, and I think we did in previous parts, that the four winners of the divisions are all nev- never made the qual- uh, didn't make the playoffs last year. I mean, we have such turnover this year. Eight different teams who didn't make the playoffs last year, but that's particularly that's all that's divisional the winners. The very first things we said when we started this podcast was that's what we love about it: the fact that it's going to be season different. changes to the next. Yeah, it does. Um, and in terms of the betting side of things, um, Mark, obviously you're going to Falcons, so. I assume you're going to take the Falcons to win outright, yeah? I have a couple of trebles I'll talk about at the end, but I, I did. I took them to win outright, which is coming in about 5-2, to two, I think, if I remember right. And the, the Rams to cover, Gordon? It's minus 6? Yeah, the, I, I think minus 6 is... The it's reasonable. You expect I, a touchdown win? Yeah, if it was if it was 7-8, you'd be kind of a bit, a bit nervous. Yeah. But a minus 6, I, I, I think it's doable. The only problem is if it's a very close game and it's... I think it's actually it down to 5.5 now. Yeah, yeah, at five and a half, it most definitely is, yeah. But the, the last thing I'm going to leave, uh, Dion Jones, I think, is going to be the guy they're going to have to rely upon the Falcons to try and keep an eye on Gurley. Grady Jarrett can disrupt the line, but this game could actually, and it's against what I'm saying about the Falcons, be decided by Aaron Donald. Yeah, I mean, he's destroyer of worlds. Wade Phillips, who's done a great job with the Rams and must get a huge amount of credit what he's done defense, has described Aaron Donald as like, you know, what's the been the biggest surprise of Aaron Donald? He's just so much better than even I anticipated. And, I mean, this is someone that's been in the game for, for so long. Um, the one thing about the Rams just nagging at me is that home record. Four and four, three of their losses, Redskins, Hawks, Eagles. Every big home game they've actually blown. The only big home game they won was the Saints. So that's, that's a bit tempting. But, anyway, we know where we stand on that one. The last game, I'm going Saints. Carolina Panthers, 11-5 at the Saints, 11-5. The only nagging fear I've got on this one is it's a divisional game. The Saints have won two games against the Panthers already, and it's very difficult to win three in a row. I can totally understand where you're coming from. And the law of averages, if you look back over the years in terms of trends in the NFLs, when a team has lost to that team twice in the season and they hit each other in the playoffs, the team who's lost the two games tends to come out on top. Patriots-Jets, 2011, I yeah. unfortunately remember. Sanchez, was it? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah 28 to 21. But when you look at the Saints at home this season, 7-1, and one, 
only defeat against the Patriots, which... Week two. It was before the season that really kicked they off. Did, you know, they lost week one. They were poor defence. They lost week two. Poor defence. They got re-energised from week three onwards. But again, it's no shame in losing the home to the Patriots any time during the season. So you could argue you could even throw that one in the bin. Um, they're beating all the teams. No, Saints to win, and I actually think Saints, and Saints to cover the handicap, which is six and a half at the moment. Gordo, are you going to stand up for the Panthers at all here, or do you see it going the same way? I think all season I've been saying Saints in the Dome are, are nearly unbeatable, yeah. bar that loss to the Pats. I've been on that bandwagon that the Dome is a massive advantage to the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. Um, I also think Kamara, the emergence of Kamara in the, oh, the last player. half, pretty much the last six, seven games, just amazing to watch. He's some speed, and... Uh, yeah, I I think this is Breeze's an, a win for Breeze, and I think what minus six and a half. I think they covered that very very handily, uh, especially in the dome. Two very quick points: Newton actually fifty percent completion in recent weeks. The Panthers in the last two weeks both times been under two hundred and sixty yards of offense. They haven't been getting it done, and, and they certainly haven't been getting it done with the running game. I think they're going to have to going to funches a lot. A lot of more going to take try take yeah, funches out again. And they're going to have to try and use McCaffrey, and they're going to have to use Stack a lot of designed runs, a lot of designed runs for Newton. I the think the stadium, the noise in the stadium will be. To me, of the four games this weekend, this is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Oh, I'm, I think it's going to be the quality game. I'm actually not really. Uh, of course, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not really looking forward to the FC games. I think they're going to be grinders. I think this is going to be uh, action-packed and fun. But Camera, surely offensive rookie of the year. I mean, Hunt's had a great season but he has been lightning. And then you look at uh, the kickoff return in week 17. You know, it was kind of like, oh yeah, here's my final exclamation point. Although the voting had already been done at the end of week 16, yeah. unfortunately. But uh, a, a great talent. And Mark Ingram as well. Let's not let's not undermine. The Saints, are, I actually, sorry, I was uh, talking to you about this offline before, Brian, but I would actually now rate Breeze as the fifth most important player on the Saints. Because I would say Ingram and Kamara ahead. Lattimore, as cornerback is either there or not there, and uh, Cameron Jordan, who's having, who could be defensive player of the year, he's had a breakout season. Oh, he's had another great season, but even better this year. That's where we wanted the Saints to get to all along. Um, you know, when we had our season preview and our season yeah. discussion last year. What can the defense do? It's always about Breeze. When are they going to start looking at, you know, putting players in place? And they've done it. So uh, if they go all the way, does Breeze retire? If yes. he wins the second Super Bowl, yes, yes, I'd imagine so. Yeah, I yeah. seem to think. I, I tend think to Big Ben will well. retire also as well if they win the Super Bowl. I think Big Ben's going to retire anyway. Okay, and Let's then see. he's going to come back, and then he's going to retire. So, so I said, I said it earlier. He's the next Brett Favre. That's the problem. So in terms of any other bets, um, in terms of any other bets, go on, on. Uh, Brian. You've usually good for uh, a couple there for us. I'm looking at a four timer in terms of four players to score a touchdown this weekend. Price haven't been put up by. By Paddy Power or Patrick Six Survivor, anyway, you probably have to wait till around Saturday morning, maybe Friday evening. Four players, anytime touchdown, four players probably pay around 10 to 1, give or take. I go with Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Gourley. Yeah. I'm looking kind of going to the obvious ones. No, here. no, no, but you get a good price um, with the combination. I would go Fournette. Yeah. Oh, Fournette's going to walk rings. And around then the last one would be Ka Ka uh, Cameron. Four of them. Score a touchdown this weekend. Okay. Saints. Yeah, 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 yeah. So camera. Sorry, I thought you said Cameron. Cameron. I was going to go. How is Jordan Cameron going to no, score no, a no. touchdown? And, uh, and then a squeaky one. I would go with a, a double up on the Chiefs and the Jaguars defense is both to score a touchdown, and that'll be priced around sixteen to one. Well, I have three bets I did this morning. Um, I couldn't believe that Tom Brady was still eleven to five to be MVP, so I put some money on that. Uh, doubling up another bet I'd done on him. Um, the Chiefs at minus eight and a half. The Falcons are five to two, and the over in the uh, Panthers Saints game, which is currently at forty-eight points, which I thought was a bit low, uh, to be honest. I see that being a bit more dramatic. So um, the uh, you tallied them up, have you? I've I've done them as a as a treble. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to remember what the odds are in relation to off the run. It's about eleven to one. Uh, the tre that treble comes out that. Chiefs, so Chiefs with win. the handicap. Falcons straight up at five to two, and then the over in the Saints. Uh, Panthers game. 11 to 1, yeah. 11 to 1, which I kind of, you know, I like the look of that one. And then if you just want to keep it to the games and not mess about with the over, um, look, I'm mixing in the Falcons, uh, basically, to straight up. I'm well, for the heavy hitters, if you want a single bet, I'd have to, I'd be all over this, all over the Chiefs to cover the handicap. I think it's a given. I, absolute given. I, I, look, I mean, in every treble I've done, I've got the the, the Chiefs in. in it's, a shade of it, it's a shade of evens, you know, if you want to make, you'd obviously, you know, invest heavily. I think that's the one. Well, there you are for all the heavy hitters. We'll see how we are next week and see how, how we get on. We, we, we will see how we do. Right.
so they're your four wildcard games, ladies and gents. We've broken down all the coaches. We can't wait to see how they're all going to play out. And by the time we talk next week, there will only be eight teams left at the end, as all seasons. There will only be one Highlander at the end. Um, but we enjoy the last few weeks while we break it all down and get to the exciting points. Um, for now, we want to say our thanks to our usual engineer, who unfortunately is away, but uh, it's because he's had a, a little baby boy, so a new Seahawk fan has come into the world. So our best wishes to Jay. Um, this, as always, has been the Irish NFL podcast, brought to you in association with the 42.ie. As said earlier, fifth, uh, six teams have lost 15 Super Bowls. Two teams have won 11 Super Bowls in history. How is this playoff season going to pan out? Ah, we're going to wait and see, and we're going to enjoy every step of the way. But for now, it's going to be goodbye from Brian O'Leary. Goodbye. Goodbye from Gordon Bridgefield. Goodbye. And from me, Mark Cockrell, it's goodbye. Goodbye.